0: take the red two out.
1: Get it right or be accursed. Strong words from the Apostle Paul this morning in regard to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, think with me for a moment. Uh, if you were, imagine that you were on vacation. So you can uh, pick your spot of vacation. For some of you, it may be uh, right here in Franklin or Nash County. Uh, but for some of you, you, may want to go to the mountains or the, or the Outer Banks, wherever it may be. But imagine that on a Sunday morning uh, that you chose to go to a local church while you were on vacation. And as you uh, drove up to the church, uh, you were there about five minutes before the worship service started, and the parking lot was full. And it looked like a nice church. And people were getting out of their cars, coming in. You walk in the doors, and, and the sanctuary is packed. And as you begin uh, talking to people, they're talking about... Uh, how important the Bible is, they're talking about uh, how important uh, it is to share the gospel, they're talking about uh, how important it is to believe that Jesus died on the cross, and uh, they're talking about uh, the importance of uh, being a good husband and a good uh, wife and raising a a good uh, Christian home. All these things that go on and on and on. And you could could keep uh, uh, talking about giving different examples. Now, what would your uh, impression of that church be? It would be a good impression or a bad impression? Uh, it would be good, right? Uh, and it would be good for me. And you, you would leave there thinking, like, wow, that is a great church. That is a church that obviously is doing some great things. But... Uh, as one sports commentator would say, Lee Corso, he would say, not so fast, my friend. Because when you think about the situation right here that, that Paul is writing to, I think that he's writing to a church that in many ways could possibly be like this church that I just described. Because you have to remember that Paul is writing not to people who claim to be atheists. He's not writing to people who claim to be uh, Non Christians. He's not writing to people that don't go to church. He's writing to people who believe in the authority of God's Word. He's writing to people who believe that Jesus died on the cross. He's writing to people who believe in sharing the gospel. He's writing to people who would believe just about all, if you had a list of things that we believe, that the church of Galatia would agree with you. But yet, Paul has these strong words to them this morning. And it seems to suggest that there is something fundamental and at the core that a church must be evaluated on, and that a Christian must be evaluated on. And it's not any of those things that I named a while ago, but in fact, it is the gospel. Because that church that I just described that you visited on vacation, they could be doing all of those things and be getting the gospel wrong. Because obviously this was the case for the church at Galatia. These churches, multiple churches that Paul is writing to, they had gotten the gospel wrong. They had begun to distort the gospel. They had begun to lose the gospel. And so this morning as we look at these warnings and strong words that Paul has to the churches of Galatia, I think that they are very, very relevant to our congregation this morning. So let's look at this passage and unpack it and see it's significant for us this morning. The first thing we're going to see is that distorting the gospel is deserting God. Distorting the gospel is deserting God. Notice what Paul says in verse 6. He begins by saying, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He's astonished. If you look back in Acts chapters 13 and 14, we give the account of Paul's missionary journey to the churches of Galatia. And some great things happen. There was opposition, but there was also numerous people that came to Christ. Jews and Gentiles, people were astonished at the work of God's grace. People were praising the Lord Jesus Christ. Churches were established. Elders and pastors were put into place. All these wonderful things. And so at the end of this missionary journey, if you would have said, well, was this missionary journey uh, to to this region of Galatia, was it a success? Everyone would say, yes. It would have been on the front page of the biblical recorder. Of saying, you know, this many people baptized in the region of Galatia. This many people, this many churches were started. Praise God for the missionary Paul and his laborers and the things that he's done. But it doesn't take long for the work of the Apostle Paul to begin to be undone. And so that's why he, he's writing, he, I'm astonished. I'm befuddled. I don't know if y'all use that word. Maybe that's the Mississippi word. He doesn't know what to do. He can't believe it. That he has heard of what's going on with the churches that he planted. The men and women that he led to Christ. And he's astonished. And what is he astonished at? He's astonished that they have turned and they're deserting Him who called them in the grace of Christ. So quickly deserting the God who saved them. Instantly, you think about the case of the Israelites. When God delivered them from Egypt and they were in the wilderness, you would think, these people have been in slavery for 400 years. And God has done all these miracles and they're just going to be, they're going to be the greatest people of God ever. And they get into the wilderness. Moses goes up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and what happens? They just are faithful to the Lord, Right? But no, what does God tell Moses? In Exodus chapter 32, verse 8, God tells Moses, He says, They have turned aside quickly out of the way I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. So you see this trend. God's people quickly turning from Him. In Exodus and here in the book of Galatians, God's people quickly turning from Him. And Paul is astonished by this. He says that he was astonished that they are deserting him. This strong word here, that, that is the same word that was used to describe a traitor. So if someone was of this army, and all of a sudden they switched armies, they would call them this word that's used here in the Bible, a deserter. And Paul is using this word basically saying, you're, you're a traitor. You're a deserter. You switch teams. It'd be like one day you're you're wearing. Uh, your Duke jersey, and the next day you're wearing your Carolina jersey. You're like, wait a second. What happened here? This doesn't make sense. How can you cheer for Duke, and then all of a sudden you cheer for North Carolina? Morty says it's not possible. It's like losing your salvation. <laughs> Others may beg to differ, But the point is that you would, if that happened, you would think, Boy, what is wrong with that person? So how much more significant is, is that when someone does that with things that have eternal significance in regard to the gospel? And it's important to remember here that Paul is not talking to people who don't go to church. So a lot of times we think that when we think about, well, so-and-so, they used to come to church, they don't come any, anymore, they have, they've left God. But according to this, you can be here every Sunday, every Wednesday. You can teach. You can be a deacon. And you can desert God. This was true of the churches here. And in many cases, it's true in our case. But who is it that he is saying they're deserting? Are, they, are they deserting Paul? Is he mad because you know, he, he's not their best buddy anymore? Is this some personal uh, uh, vindictive letter that Paul is writing? He doesn't say, no, you've deserted me. He doesn't say, you deserted this or that. But he said, you have deserted him who called you in the grace of Christ. Now who is the one who always does the calling from Genesis to Revelation? Not man, but God. God called creation into existence. He called His people into existence. And in the New Testament, whenever calling is taking place, it's God is the one that is calling people. The Word of God is preached, and God calls people to salvation. So then Paul is saying that you Galatians... You are deserting, you are changing teams. You are leaving behind the God of grace who called you. And when we unpack this, it's important to remember what Paul is having in his mind when he's talking about a calling from the God of grace. Because this is the core foundation of the gospel. And there are numer- numerous passages that we could turn to, but I want to read one to you from First Corinthians one, chapter twenty six. Excuse me, First Corinthians chapter one, verses twenty six through thirty one. And just listen closely as Paul is writing about this concept and the significance of one being called by God in grace. He says, "For, for consider your calling, brothers." Listen how he describes the people who have been called in the church of Corinth. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. Verse 30, He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one boast, but boast in the Lord. So basically, Paul is unpacking the essence of the gospel. That we are a people of God who don't deserve being saved. God created us to worship Him, to serve Him, and to obey Him. And has anyone in here been faithful to following all of God's commands? Has anyone? The Bible is clear in answering that question. For there is none righteous, no not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is the just punishment of my transgression against God's commandment? What is your just punishment against for God for your transgression against God's commandment? For the wages of sin is. For the wages of sin is death. Death is your punishment. Death is what you deserve. Death is what I deserve. And this is why it's so important to understand the gospel means good news. It's good news because I deserve death and God gave me something that I did not deserve, which is salvation. And He gave me something that I cannot earn. It's by His grace. What does Paul say? He says, You are turning and deserting Him who called you in the grace. Grace, grace, grace. Getting something you don't deserve. If you deserve to be saved, it ceases to be grace. So if you have any idea in your mind of thinking that in some way you are worthy of the salvation you have received in Christ, or that in some way you deserve to be saved, or in some way you have done something good to earn your salvation, know that that is not a calling in the grace of Jesus Christ. That is legalism, coming up with your own religion and own way to be saved. But Paul is very specific here. When he addresses specifically, what you are deserting churches in Galatia. You are deserting the fact that there is nothing that you can do for your salvation. That before Christ you are wretched sinners condemned to die. Or as he says in Ephesians, you are dead in your trespasses. By nature children of wrath. And insert God's grace, and you have the gospel. The righteous one dying for the unrighteous. God loving those who were unworthy of his love. God offering the branch of peace, the olive branch of peace, to those who are undeserving. And God saying, Any who will simply trust in Christ, repent of their sins, and claim him as Lord be saved from your sins. That there is no works. There is no to-do list. And Paul says, you are deserting that. So the question that we have to ask is that, are we deserting God? You say, well, Corey, I'm here every week. I'm faithful. I do these things. Again, remind yourselves that the people... And these churches would say the same thing. But Paul is saying that you have changed the gospel. You have added something to it. And therefore by doing that, you are deserting God. So know that when we don't get the gospel right, we are guilty of deserting God. So is it important to get the gospel right? If you're interested in not deserting God, it's of infinite value. So the first thing we've seen is that distorting the gospel is deserting God. The second thing we're going to see in verse 7 is that the greatest danger to the church comes from within, not outside. The greatest danger to this congregation comes from within and not outside. It's easy for us to, to lament things going on outside the church. But if you ask Paul, Paul, what's the greatest danger going on in the churches of Galatia? He would say, the, the problem is not those outside the churches of Galatia. He says, the problem is those who are inside the church of Galatia. The teachers. The members. People who are there every Sunday. What does he say in verse 7? He says, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ." Now these individuals he's talking about, which will be clearer as we go through the book of Galatians, are what are called the Judaizers. And he's saying that there are some teachers that have come in your midst who are troubling you. They're doing two things. One, that they're troubling the congregation, and they're troubling the congregation by distorting the gospel. And so the first question I have is, what are they doing to distort the gospel? Now we will see this throughout the book, but specifically what they were doing is that they were saying that to these Gentiles, now it's important to, re- to remember that what was a distinguishing mark of God's people in the Old Testament? They were circumcised. Okay? Now the Israelites are the only people in all of creation that were circumcised. And God gave that to them as a sign of His covenant promises to them. So baptism in some ways serves as a sign of God's covenant promises to us that we give to believers. So Najee was baptized this morning as a sign that he has received the promise that God will save people. And then Najee accepts that. And baptism is a way of identifying with that. But now these Judaizers were having a hard time understanding that circumcision was no longer necessary to be identified as God's people. So one of the things they were telling these Gentiles was that not only do you need to have faith in Christ, but you also need to be circumcised. And in Acts 15, this is very clear, in the first verse of chapter 15, where it describes these individuals. It says, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers this, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So if you ask these individuals, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? They would say, yes. Do you believe that He died on the cross? Yes. Do you believe He was raised from the dead? Yes. Do you believe that you must have faith in Him? Yes. Do you believe in the Bible as God's Word? Yes. All these things you could ask them. Yes, 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 yes. But they would say, one more thing though. Throughout the Old Testament, they would use the Bible to argue this. I would say, don't you know that in the Scriptures, God required His people to be circumcised? And I haven't heard anybody say we're not supposed to be circumcised anymore. So, so yes, you need to have faith in Jesus, but also you need to make sure that you are circumcised. And you may say, well, well Corey, I haven't heard anybody in this church say that I had to be circumcised. So we are good to go. We are, we are good. We can close the Bible and go home and eat lunch. Well, not so fast. What is it that the Judaizers were doing to distort the gospel? They were adding something to it. They were saying, yes, you need to have faith, but you need to do one more thing. Now, I haven't heard anyone here requiring people to be circumcised. But do we, in our minds, add things to the gospel? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, You need to be a good husband. Or well, you need to make sure you don't have any tattoos. Well, you need to make sure you don't drink any alcohol. You need to make sure you don't smoke, don't cuss, don't watch already movies. And then when you kind of get those things together, you come on to church. you ever thought like that? You might have to raise your hand. If you're honest, you may not have things on that list, but there are things on your list There are things on my list where we begin to add to the gospel. When you answer the question of the gospel or what it means to be Christian, and you start giving a list of things, friends, know that you have added to the gospel. You need to wear a tie on Sunday. You've added to the gospel. You need to do this. You've added to the gospel. The gospel is trust, have faith, that Christ's death was sufficient to satisfy God's wrath against you. And that His resurrection gives us the ability to be saved from the consequences of our sin. That's the gospel. Period. That is where righteousness comes from. So if you think in your mind that you being here this morning, this is a good way to to see if we're adding things to the gospel. If you think that you being here this morning makes you a better or more righteous Christian, you have added to the gospel. If you think quitting any type of sin makes you more righteous, you have added to the gospel. Because the Bible says that we are counted righteous through faith, that Jesus' righteousness is given to us by trusting Him. Now, the question you have to ask is can you make yourself more righteous than Jesus makes you? I don't think that's possible. So all the time we, and I say we, I'm including myself in this. The nature of our sinfulness is to try to save ourselves and come up with with a a nice clean checklist. Well, I've got this sin issue that I want to quit. And so if I can just quit that, God's going to love me more, I'm going to be a better Christian, and I'm going to be more righteous. I said, "I'm just coming on Sunday. I need to come on Wednesday night." Or oh, I need, you know what? I need. They talking about that rest home ministry. Andre made a, a good announcement about that. Kind of feel guilty about it. So I'm going to go tonight. And in your back your mind, you're thinking, "Okay, why well, I went? I went. All right. You know, I'm. I did something more more Christian than I had been doing. And if you're thinking that in any way that makes you more righteous, you are adding to the gospel. You are adding to the gospel. And so the danger is inside the church. When we take the simple gospel message that we are to have faith in Christ, that Jesus saves us from our sin, and we begin adding things to it, Now that's not to say that there are not natural implications that come from living the gospel. But that's a different sermon. So are you adding anything to the gospel? Here, there, Paul is warning against these teachers and those that were distorting the gospel. Are you distorting the gospel by adding things to it? by having ideas in your mind of this is what it means to be a good Christian? Are you distorting the Gospel? The last thing we see in verses 8 through 10 is those who distort the Gospel are worthy of damnation. You say, is it an important question to ask whether or not you're distorting the Gospel? I think in, verse, in light of verses 8 and 9, it's a very important question. Because Paul doesn't, he doesn't hide anything. He lays it out there. He's very clear. What he says in verse 8, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You think, Paul, what's the big deal? Why are you so mad? Why are you so angry? You're, supposed to, you're not supposed to say things like that, let people be accursed. Don't you know that if you're running for political office that people will not vote for you like that? The media will make fun of you. They will call you narrow-minded and, and a bigot, a hater. But Paul has one concern in writing this book. And, and he says when it's not, In verse 10, he said, I'm not looking for the approval of man. He said, I'm not looking for your approval. I'm not looking for anybody's approval. But God's approval. And the central focus of the book of Galatians is to keep the purity of the gospel alive. And so he's very strong in saying, if there is one thing that you cannot get wrong, it is the gospel. And he's saying, in fact, if I come to you tomorrow preaching something different than I did last week, let me be accursed. If an angel comes to you preaching something different contrary than what I preached to you, let it be accursed. If anyone preaches anything, teaches anything that is contrary to the gospel of God's grace that we are Are saved through faith and through faith alone in Jesus Christ. By no works of ourselves. Paul is saying, let him be accursed. Which is a reference to the final judgment. Saying basically, let him get what he is due when Christ returns and the final judgment takes place. Is that strong words? That's strong words. For Paul is very emphatic about the importance of the gospel message. And there are many ways that we unknowingly distort the gospel to where even good things can take the place of the gospel. There are several examples that uh, uh, Pastor Nate Philip Reichen gives. Listen and see if any of these sound familiar. He notes these other gospels that One example is the gospel of material prosperity. The belief that that if I come to Jesus, then my financial problems will be taken care of. Or if I am faithful in following Jesus, then I won't have any financial problems. You can hear that message every Sunday morning on your TV at home by very well-known pastors. And you can buy books on that. At Lifeway. As soon as you walk in the door. That teach a gospel of prosperity. The next gospel, he said, what about a gospel of family values? If I follow Jesus, I'm going to have a happy home. I won't have any problems with my wife or husband. My children are going to do everything like I want them to. There's not going to be any problems. They're just going to grow up and they're all going to be missionaries. In Franklin County, so they don't move away. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, well, I wouldn't want my kid to be a missionary. But this idea that we have that, well, following Jesus means that, that I'm going to be a good dad and a good wife, a good father, a good mother. We're about the gospel of self-esteem, or personal fulfillment. You hear this all the time. This is everywhere. Come to Jesus and, and you will be able to be self-fulfilled. You know, you'll, you'll be able to find your identity. Gospel of religious tradition. Come to Jesus. Here's, here's the difficult part. Is that someone could... This gospel of religious tradition. Someone who, who grew up around here. Could play the role of a Christian and nobody ever know it. Come to church on Sunday, dress nice, be here on time, have a decent job, you know, don't go off and get arrested, do things, everybody thinks, well, that's such a fine Christian young man. And there'd be no presence of faith in Christ. You know, you can love your wife and not be a Christian. You can be a great employee and not be a Christian. You can be a great dad and not be a Christian. But we associate those things as being equal with understanding what the Gospel is. And the last one, just a Gospel of morality. What does it mean to be a Christian? What it means to do these ten things? If you do those ten things and don't do those ten things, then you're a Christian. And Paul is saying... Those things distort the gospel. They're not bad in of themselves. And I would hope that they are in some ways a reflection of us believing in the gospel. But he's saying there's that's not the gospel. The gospel is finding yourself in a hopeless situation because of your sinfulness. And realizing that there is nothing that you can do to save yourself. And if God was fair with you, He would strike you dead before your next breath. And realizing that the gospel is God extending the olive branch and saying to a wretched, undeserving sinner, Here is redemption, here is forgiveness. Here is salvation. Not because you deserve it. Not because you can do anything to earn it. But because I am a God of grace. And I have unconditional love for you. And I have sent my son Jesus Christ to bear my wrath which is rightly deserving towards you. But I place it on him. And his death satisfies my wrath against you. And his resurrection assures victory over death. So that my apostle Paul can write, Where is your sting, O death? The gospel promises nothing but salvation from the consequences of sin and judgment. It doesn't promise you a better life from here on out, it doesn't promise you a fixed marriage, it doesn't promise you children that are going to be great. It doesn't promise you financial prosperity. It doesn't promise you a non struggle with sin until Jesus returns. The promise of the gospel is that God will save you from his judgment. Period. Period. Anything that you begin to add onto that. is distorting the gospel. So, how clear is the gospel in your heart? Reality: The gospel brings life to a congregation. It is the source and the fountain of life for a congregation. Without it, a congregation dies. So I'll go back to my illustration that I began. We... Have a great crowd today. I'm glad every one of you are here today. And if someone's visiting, they may talk to you and they think, wow, that's a friendly church. They're they're talking about Jesus. They're talking about the Bible. They're talking about going to the rest home. All these things which are good things and I'm glad we do. But are we clear on what the Gospel is? Because if we're not... And if Paul was writing to us, he would say, I'm astonished that you at Redbud are deserting the One who called you in the grace of Christ. My hope and prayer is that if Paul was writing to us, he would say, I'm greatly relieved to know that Redbud Baptist Church continues to understand the Gospel, continue to protect it. And to use it as the foundation of core for all that they do. Let's go to the Lord